Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. This uh, microphone gear has been set up for those who are technically challenged. I do not even have to switch off the mute button. It's all being done for me. Can I just take this opportunity before I begin just to say thank you on behalf of Muriel and myself to those of you who have been praying for our granddaughter, Bethan. Uh, it was, seems incredible, but it was last May when we first heard that she had a tumor. She's 11 years old. And she has, just so that you know, she's just been referred now to Great Ormond Street, which is the fifth hospital in a row that she has been referred to. Uh, and they are actually going to take responsibility. So uh, we're just waiting now. There's some more tests to happen. And then they're going to take a key decision as to whether to operate. And they're balancing the risks of operating against the quality of life later on. So that's a pretty key decision. So we would appreciate your continuing prayers for Bethan. I was in a church the other day, two or three weeks ago, and uh, a man came up to me and he said, I'd just like you to know that my wife and I have prayed for Bethan every day since you told us in May. That's so encouraging, isn't it? When, uh, when God's people are, are supporting and uh, with you in these things. Great. Well, we're going to ask a question this morning. And uh, let me say one or two things before we do that. Discipleship doesn't come after mission. Discipleship is our mission. In the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, what Jesus actually said was, go and disciple the nations. It's a verb, not a noun. Go and disciple the nations. In effect, he was saying, what I have been doing for you over the last three years, now I want you to go and do for others. He didn't need to spell it out. They knew exactly what he meant. Jesus had invested in them, taking time to do it. They had shared meals together. He had encouraged them. He had challenged their attitudes. He showed them how to live. He showed them how to serve. He gave them a chance to have a go. He had discipled them. So when he said, now, I want you to go and do the same for others... They knew this was about much more than simply bringing someone to Christ. Wonderful as that is. This was more than that. Eugene Peterson gets it spot on in the message. He translates it, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. 
That's the idea. Now, if we take on board what Jesus said, it actually gets quite personal. Because if I am going to be truly discipled, then I have to allow someone else to speak into my life. I will need to be open with someone who can help me grow. Jesus didn't simply say, go and tell them what I said. He said, go and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I think the best way for us to get a, a handle on this is, uh, I, I say that whether we want to be discipled or whether actually we are discipling others. It might be either. Is to look at how Jesus did it. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to take Peter as an example. And uh, from his very first meeting with Jesus, right through to the day he got airborne at Pentecost. And we're going to look at that process. And I think we will see that to be truly discipled is a huge privilege. And one that we simply can't afford to miss out on if we're serious about following Jesus. Okay? So that's where we're going. Thanks. Peter. We love Peter, don't we? We love Peter, I think, because of his human frailty. He was so like us. The impulsiveness, the enthusiasm, the flaws, all mixed up together. Always sticking his head above the parapet and occasionally getting it shot off. He was a northerner. Now I have to be careful here. Fact is, he lived up top end of the country and he spoke Aramaic with a northern accent. But that's okay, that's okay. He was born in a lakeside town. He was married. Bit of an entrepreneur. Part owned a business with a couple of other guys. And my kind of sense is, Peter was the sort of person, what you saw was what you got. He was a kind of a lovable hothead, who's basically whose heart was in the right place. So how do you go about training someone like Peter in this way of life? How do you go about discipling him? Well, we're going to look at how Jesus did it, first of all. John chapter 1, verse 35. This is their very first meeting. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, 
and he brought him to Jesus. So there they are, face to face for the first time. And you can just kind of see them looking each other in the eye. What's this about? Jesus looked at him and said, I quote, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. It's translated as Peter. It means, as we know, a rock. And I can imagine Andrew, the brother who's just brought Simon, standing there and thinking, Jesus, you've blown it already. You're supposed to be the Messiah. You're talking to the most unpredictable, volatile guy in Galilee, and you just call him a rock. That he ain't. What was Jesus really saying? What Jesus was really saying was, Peter, I can see what you are going to be. Thanks, uh, Kenneth. Starting point. He believed in him. And from the start and saw his potential. See, if someone is going to disciple me, I need to know that they believe in me. And that they have a vision for who I can be. That's where we begin. I need to know that. I had the privilege of having just such a person in my own life since my early 30s. They stood with me and discipled me throughout that period of time. There was a point some 25 years ago when my ministry was that close to extinction that David Attenborough was attending with a cameraman. <laughs> but John never stopped believing in me. He never stopped believing in me. And he stood with me. And through his faithfulness, new doors began to open which actually led into the 20 most fruitful years of my life so far. Jesus believed in him and had a vision for what he could be. Number two, not long after that, they met again. Luke 5, Jesus is preaching to a crowd by the lake. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, asked him to put out a little from the shore, sat down, taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. You know the story. They had a huge, uh, a huge uh, harvest of fish, signaled to the partners, come and give us a hand, we're about to sink. And then it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished. What is happening here? Number two. He showed Peter what it is like to live under the anointing. 
said, Peter, this is what it's like to live under the anointing of the Spirit. If I am discipling someone else, that's quite a challenge, isn't it? That's quite a challenge. Can they see in me what it's like to live in the Spirit? Can they see the fruit of the Spirit's presence in my life? Because at the end of the day, we can all only lead others where we've been, can't we? See, this is kind of real rubber-hits-the-road stuff in terms of discipleship. Number three, verse 10, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on, you will catch men. Thanks. Jesus prophesied over his life. At this stage in Peter's development, Jesus is hearing God for Peter. And he's helping him to identify his gifting and encouraging him into his future. That's part of discipleship. Helping someone to connect with God's voice and his purpose for their life. Number four. Peter became one of his closest friends. We know that Peter and James and John, those three, were especially close to Jesus. So, discipleship was taking place in the context of a relationship. Very important. And a relationship of trust. So, it's not a Western classroom model of learning. It's the Jewish model. One-to-one. Like Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. There was an openness between Jesus and Peter and a mutual appreciation. Do you remember when Jesus called his disciples in the first place? Do you remember what was said? Mark 3, 14. He appointed 12, what for? That they might be with him and that he might send them out. Jesus' call to the 12 that he chose to train personally went something like this. Come and eat at my table. Come and travel the road with me. Come and visit the towns I I visit. Come and eat the meals I eat. Share my good days. Share my difficult days. It was being and doing together. And that is discipleship at its best. And it said it's most effective. Number five. Thanks. He sent Peter out as part of a team to do what he had seen Jesus do. Now it's time for Peter to have a go. You see the, the development, the progress. 
Luke chapter 9, verse 1, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus is developing Peter's character and his ministry. He's doing both. Now Peter gets a chance to spread his wings a little has the opportunity to do what he has been watching Jesus do. That's how discipleship works. So if, for example, one of us has the seeds of a prophetic calling, then we need to be alongside someone who's farther along the road in that particular gift and learn from them. The wonderful thing about what happened here is that Jesus was willing to take risks. He sent Peter out in his own name. And he was willing to stand by him if he made mistakes. So there's room to breathe and grow. There's reassurance and safety as you do so. That's the kind of atmosphere we want, isn't it, in the church? where we can have a go, and it's a safe place to do it, because that's how we learn. Number six, he gave them time for feedback. Verse 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves. There was time for review, time for support. There was accountability. We all need that. Accountability. It's just such a brilliant example of what true discipleship is about. Number seven. Look at Matthew chapter 16. I love this. Verse 13. You know this very well. Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Guess who? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. What is happening here? Thanks. Peter is receiving revelation for himself. Back at the beginning, Jesus was hearing God for Peter and speaking into his life. But now, Peter is hearing God for himself. He's growing. The purpose of discipleship is not to make one person dependent on another, but to help them grow in their own experience of God. So they become more mature and more fruitful. Number eight. You're wondering how many of these there are, aren't you? I'm afraid to tell you. When it was number eight. Yeah, let's go for it. This is where it gets just a little bit scary. When it was necessary, Jesus 
gave clear correction. This is the bit we're not quite so keen on, <laughs> if you're anything like me. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Don't think the disciples got the last bit. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> just, just a minute, Jesus. <laughs> You're doing great so far, but you're just going a little bit on a wobble here. Just a minute. He said, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, well, thank you. I'll think about that. <laughs> he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, Jesus didn't hold back from telling Peter what he needed to hear. He loved him too much for that. There was honesty in the relationship. Real honesty. See, sometimes we need, don't we? We need to receive faithful love. Sometimes. That's why openness is at the heart of true discipleship. Is my heart open to hear what I may need to hear? You can't disciple someone if you have to skirt around the issues. We all know that experience. If there are eggshells on the pathway to my door, it's going to be pretty difficult for anyone to disciple me. The thing is, I will be the one that misses out. Number nine. Jesus warned Peter when he saw the danger signals. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Jesus says, Peter, right now you need to be careful because you're in real danger of coming a cropper. And he warned him. Have you ever looked back through your life and thought, I wish someone could have warned me just then? Have you? See, Jesus could warn Peter because Peter was willing to listen. Sadly, on this occasion, I'm not sure he was open to receive what he heard. What happened then? Number 10. He prayed for him. Thanks. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Behind the warnings, Jesus was praying for him. That's the kind of person I want to disciple me. Because he cared for him. Incidentally, his prayer was answered. Peter's courage failed, but his faith didn't. Number 11. There's only one more to go after this. After Peter's fall, Jesus saw him through to restoration. 
and I just love this. Sadly, in those traumatic hours when Jesus was being arrested and carted off to the high priest's house with all the hostility, all the threats, all the anger, it was a pretty traumatic time. And Peter wobbled. Denied the Lord three times. Luke twenty-two sixty. Just as Peter was speaking, the rooster crowed. Do you know what it says next? You do, don't you? The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that? Their eyes met. I don't think it was a condemning look. I think it was a look that was full of love and compassion. Whatever it was, one thing I know, it broke Peter's heart. And he went out, and he wept, and he wept, and he wept. I can't imagine what the rest of the weekend was like for Peter. But let me tell you what happened three days later. On the resurrection morning, Mark chapter 16, verse 7. The angel by the tomb has been given a very, very, very special message. And it runs like this to the women. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Whatever you do, said the angel, don't forget to tell Peter. Jesus has only risen from the dead three hour, two or three hours, and he's already back on the job. Don't forget to tell Peter, says the angel. 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Paul is describing the good news, the gospel. And he puts it like this. Christ died, and he was buried that he raised, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. You've noticed that, haven't you? Before Jesus ever revealed himself to the group of disciples, he met Peter alone in an unrecorded meeting. I don't know what passed between them. But I know that it was the place of forgiveness and of a loving embrace. Peter discovered that he hadn't shot his bolt with the master. Some of us need to hear that. He hadn't shot his bolt with the master. He was restored. There was one other area that needed to be addressed. And that was his relationship with the other disciples. See, Jesus is the discipler par excellence, isn't he? Peter had taken a place beyond them all, asserting his kind of surefire loyalty. You can count on moi. And there's going to be some repair work needed in his relationship with the group. 
And so in John 21, Jesus talks to Peter in front of the others. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Three times he asked the same question. You know the story. Peter, it says, was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus reaffirms Peter's call to ministry and gently restores him to his place among the disciples. But now, with a new humility. Jesus saw him through to restoration after his fall. And it included his relationship with his brothers and sisters. Now they could work together. Finally, number 12. Peter fulfills his destiny. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up, how? With the 11. This kind of feels different. He stands up with the 11. Begins to fulfill the destiny that Jesus foresaw and prophesied at their first meeting three years before. And as he proclaims boldly, the Lordship of Jesus, 3,000 people respond. The servant had become a little more like the master. He had been discipled. And now, he too was beginning to live under the anointing of the Spirit. You see? It gets even better. In his second preach, Acts chapter 3, verse 14. Peter's still in Jerusalem, still preaching to a huge crowd of Jews. Says to them, can you believe this? He says to them, you disowned the holy and righteous one. If I'd have been there, I'd have said, hang on a minute. Hang on a cotton-picking minute. You disowned him. But Peter had been led into such a place of forgiveness that he was free in his spirit to stand and deliver the Lord's message. That is real restoration. See? That's the real deal. He was free in his spirit. He had laid hold of forgiveness. Can I say that again? He had laid hold of forgiveness. And now was flowing in and under the anointing of the spirit. 
Jesus said, go and make disciples. That is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not about bringing someone simply to Christ. The Great Commission is about a whole process of discipleship. To some of us this morning, the Lord is saying, are you up for this? Are you up for this? How much do you really want to be discipled at that level? To others, he is saying, who are you discipling? In whom are you investing what God has done in you? Are you being strategic? Jesus was. This is the shape of a discipling community. Some will be involved in both aspects, receiving and giving. And I just want to encourage you to think again about the implications of discipleship. I know we're all at different stages, different places along the road. But if the Lord has spoken to you about some aspect of this that kind of fits you just where you are right now, and you want to move forward, why not have a word? Philip with Edward, with one of the leaders who can help us to take the next step. Go and make disciples, is what Jesus said. Go and disciple the nations. And it kind of starts here, doesn't it? And then radiates out. Let's pray. Then I'll hand back to Alan. If anyone does, obviously, if anyone does, would appreciate prayer ministry, it will be available this morning. And uh, there is space over in the corner at the back for that to take place and uh, a team ready. But let's just pray. Father, we... Confess together again today that Jesus is Lord. And we, Lord, welcome your Lordship in our lives. Thank you that you have given us brothers and sisters so that we can grow and learn and be shaped in practical ways within the body of Christ. Lord, we want to be everything that you've intended us to be. We want, Lord, to fulfill our calling, to fulfill our destiny. Every square inch of it, we want to touch it all for you. So I pray that you will help us so that every single one of us will have a pathway before us that we can move forward and grow.
and to find our full place in the advance of the kingdom of God. Lord, help us, I pray. Thank you, too, for your forgiving grace. Thank you for how beautifully and tenderly you dealt with Peter and that your grace is the same towards us. Thank you, Lord, that we can never, ever shoot our boat with you. Thank you that you uh, forgive and restore and raise us up over and over again. And so, Lord, we just open our hearts to your love. We open our hearts to you. Help us in how we respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're just going to spend a few minutes